patriarchs in the book of Genesis. God gave Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob one big promise. And that promise revolved around three primary things. Offspring, land, and blessing of the nations. Of course, seeing that promise fulfilled would require a long wait. It would often be carried out through unimpressive or unremarkable means. And at times it would look like God might fail to keep that promise. But God did. God has. And God will fulfill his word. In a sense, that promise was fulfilled when Jesus Christ arrived at Christmas some 2,000 years ago. And in another sense, that promise will be fulfilled when Jesus comes again. But this morning we shift from the patriarchs to another group of biblical figures, and that is the prophets. When modern people like us hear the word prophet, a few stereotypes might come to mind. We may picture some wild-eyed ecstatic who we'd prefer to avoid when we're walking into the Colts game. Or a doomsday-obsessed quack who needs to take a chill pill. Or a fool who's convinced themselves that they can tell the future for a small fee, of course. And while the biblical prophets often were a bit strange, did talk quite a lot about judgment... And do at times predict future events. Prophets also do much more than that. Specifically, prophets remind God's people about what God expects of them. And conversely, prophets remind God's people what they should expect of God. If there was one word that we used last week to sum up the patriarchs, It was the word promise. And if one word might sum up the prophets, it might be expectation. And the greatest expectation the Old Testament prophets had was that God would send a Messiah to save his people. And that Messiah, Jesus Christ, comes at Christmas. So open up to 2 Samuel 7. Feel free to use one of our Bibles if you didn't bring one and take a Bible home if you don't have one. But before we go any further, let's pray. Father, again, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together to worship you. Uh, There is a lot to be done today here at this church. Uh, As we've mentioned, the congregational meeting is important and we have big news to share And we're excited about that and interested in that. But at the same time, Lord, help us keep the main thing, the main thing this morning, which is glorifying you, honoring you, serving you, worshiping you, and being strengthened and encouraged and challenged by your word. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this church that we have the privilege to call home. Uh, And I pray those who walk in these doors for the first time, see this place, and that this is the kind of place that they would want to call home as well. Uh, I pray that we would shine brightly in this community, especially at this time of year, uh, when people might be more open to coming to church than they usually are. I pray that we might shine brightly. Help us be attentive to your word. 
Help us be people of expectation, knowing that you have fulfilled your word in the past and that you will fulfill the expectations that you have laid down in your word in the future. We love you. We thank you for your son, Jesus, the greatest fulfillment of any and every expectation that we can imagine, that we could hope for better than what we would expect or hope for on our own. Thank you for Jesus. We ask this all in his name. Amen. As we speak, there is a gift hidden somewhere in my bedroom closet that I know is for me. But I don't know what it is. And it's driving me insane. But here's what I can tell you so far. It came from Etsy. It cost about $13. I know that because I saw our credit card statement. And it's in a small cardboard envelope. And I know it's for me because when it came in the mail, Olivia specifically instructed me not to look at it. That's because Olivia knows that throughout my entire life, I have not been good at waiting for Christmas gifts. So really, you could argue that her strategy was ill-advised. As an adult, I basically know every gift I'm getting before I open it. And as a kid, I would often find gifts from my parents under beds or coffee tables or all kinds of other places. But this gift is a mystery. I have no idea. But whatever this gift is, I have very high expectations for it. But somehow, some way, I'm going to have to learn to live with those expectations for the next two weeks. Managing expectations can be both difficult and exciting. On the one hand, expectations demand patience. On the other hand, expectations raise hope. Simone Weil once wrote that waiting patiently in expectation is the foundation of the spiritual life. Seems like an overstatement, doesn't it? The foundation of the spiritual life? Well, the prophets, people called by God whose entire lives, entire identities, entire vocations revolved around great God-given expectations... They might agree. Now, as you think about famous Old Testament prophets, Nathan is probably not the first one who comes to mind. He's not a major prophet like Isaiah, Jeremiah, or Ezekiel. He's not even considered a minor prophet like Obadiah or Joel or Malachi. Nathan doesn't get his own book the way those prophets do. But in 2 Samuel 7, Nathan becomes one of the most important prophets in all of Scripture. At this moment in history, the world was King David's oyster. His old rival Saul, the previous king who had tried to kill him multiple times, was finally gone. The Ark of the Covenant, the most tangible sign of God's presence with his people in the Old Testament is back where it belongs. The nation of Israel has rallied around David. Jerusalem has been established as the capital city. David's enemies have been subdued. And David has grand plans to build God a permanent temple. Again, life is good 
in 2 Samuel 7. But then it gets even better in verse 4. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David. Thus says the Lord. It's important to note that phrase, thus says the Lord. If you read the Old Testament prophets, you'll read that phrase hundreds of times. Prophets say what God tells them to say. They don't just make stuff up. They are mouthpieces for God. Thus says the Lord. Would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. In all places where I have moved with all the people of Israel, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you. And I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly, from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. That all sounds very good so far, but God ups the ante in this next few verses. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Nathan's prophetic announcement to David sets massive expectations. With time, it becomes one of the most significant prophecies in the entire Bible. God would give David a great name and great descendants. His royal successor, whoever he is, would be like a son of God. And his throne would be established forever. Of course, we Christians all know who this son is, don't we? Any guesses? Don't overthink it. You've all been in Sunday school before. Who is this passage talking about? Solomon. It's Solomon that this passage is talking about. Solomon checks all the boxes. He's David's son. He succeeds his father as king. 
He grows his own name and Israel's reputation to unprecedented levels of worldly power, wealth, and influence. Solomon oversees the building of God's temple in Jerusalem. Thanks to Solomon, David's throne becomes more secure than ever before. It appears it will last forever. But then it doesn't. Just a few chapters after Nathan delivers this wonderful news to David, he's confronting David over a horrific sin. A sin that has consequences long after David is gone. Solomon sins as well. The kingdom divides. The temple that David was so excited to build, that Solomon actually finished, that temple was destroyed. God's people are exiled. So much for a throne that would last forever. Huh. It looks like the prophet Nathan may have gotten this one wrong. It appears those great expectations of 2 Samuel 7 are turned to dust. Or are they? Nathan's prophecy couldn't have been wrong. After all, he didn't make it up on his own. He got it from God. Remember, thus says the Lord. And true prophets, by the Bible's standards, can't be wrong. If they are wrong, they're not really prophets at all. Even worse, they're false prophets. And Nathan is no false prophet. So maybe Nathan wasn't wrong. Maybe someone besides Solomon would fulfill that stunning prophecy. Maybe that someone would come much later when you least expect him, where you least expect him, and how you least expect him. And in the New Testament, Matthew seems to think that's the case. Matthew believes that the birth of Jesus Christ breathes new life into that old prophecy of 2 Samuel 7. Matthew paints a picture of Jesus as the true fulfillment of all those great expectations. Turn to Matthew chapter 1. This is the Christmas story that you've maybe read before. Maybe you've read it this year. We're going to read most of it this morning and see if you can't pick something out, something that occurs five times that maybe you haven't noticed before. Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. 
Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. But knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Moving into chapter 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Herod comes up with a plot to get rid of Jesus. You read about that in verses 7 through 12. But the wise men are warned by God, and we pick up in verse 13. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. So five times in his story of Jesus's birth, Matthew says something about prophets. The one about Emmanuel, God with us, comes from Isaiah 7. The one about a ruler from Bethlehem comes from Micah 5. Out of Egypt I called my son comes from Hosea 11. The one about Rachel's children comes from Jeremiah 31. And the last one, he would be called a Nazarene. To be honest, we're not entirely sure which prophet said that. But then on top of all his talk about prophets, Matthew goes to great lengths to show that Jesus, even with his remarkable, unusual, miraculous conception, is a descendant of David. 
His genealogy in chapter 1 connects Jesus directly to David. Jesus' adopted father, Joseph, is explicitly identified as a son of David. And Bethlehem, the place where Jesus, through a string of coincidences, I'm sure, is born, was David's hometown. Matthew makes it clear that Jesus is the son of David. Jesus is the king of Israel. Jesus is the fulfillment of those great expectations from 2 Samuel 7. As I said, I have high expectations of that little cardboard envelope in my bedroom closet. But I also recognize that in the big scheme of things, there isn't much riding on it. Maybe Olivia told me it was for me and it's not just to throw me off the scent. I don't know. But we all know that there are other areas of life where we have high expectations. And those expectations matter greatly. We expect our spouse to fulfill the vows that they spoke on their wedding day. We expect our children to grow into mature, functioning, godly adults who love Jesus. We expect good health to be the rule and not the exception. We expect justice to be done. We expect checks not to bounce. We expect fruit from a lifetime of hard work. But we also know that in a fallen world, great expectations are not always met. People regularly fail us, and we regularly fail them. Sometimes our expectations were misguided from the start and need to be adjusted. And the pressure of high expectations often causes us to fold. But God did not, has not, and will not fail to meet the great expectations that he has laid down in his word, that he has announced through his prophets. Sure, God might not always meet expectations in all the ways we'd expect or on the timeline that we'd prefer. The prophets themselves didn't have perfect clarity concerning how exactly God us. Unlike Adam and Eve in the garden, unlike David, unlike Solomon, God never falls short of expectations. God never folds. In fact, God not only meets expectations, he exceeds them. Because it turns out that Jesus was more than just a son of David. He was the son of God in a way that Nathan could not have imagined. Jesus is more than just a national king who will save Israel. He is the savior of every sinner who trusts in his life, death, and resurrection. And Jesus occupies more than just a worldly throne that will be established forever. He sits on an eternal throne over heaven and earth. God didn't just meet the great expectations of 2 Samuel 7. He exceeds them. And according to the Gospel of Matthew, 
It revolves around Jesus' birth. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10. Peter says there, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them, the prophets, that they were serving not themselves but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Jesus, who he is and what he's done, is what prophets like Nathan, Isaiah, Micah, Hosea, and Jeremiah looked forward to, even if they didn't fully understand it. The gospel, this great story of God redeeming a world blackened by sin, is the thing into which angels long to look. And you, little old you, get to be reminded of these things every Sunday. You get to celebrate them every Christmas. In the words of theologian Karl Barth, we Christians get to live in expectation of eternal light. Thanks to Jesus. And as long as you have that light... That hope, that confidence, that faith, that great expectation that Christ has come and will come again, you have reason to rejoice. You have reason to press on. You have something to hold on to, even in the deepest, darkest, bleakest winters. Look at Isaiah chapter 65, starting in verse 17. The last 15, 20 verses of Isaiah, give or take, are often referred to as messianic prophecies. Messianic coming from the word Messiah. And chapter 65, starting in verse 17, gives us just the the slightest taste of what we might expect in Christ's presence. Isaiah says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more shall there be in it an infant who lives but a few days. Or an old man who does not fill out his days. For the young man shall die a hundred years old. And the sinner, a hundred years old, shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For like the days of a tree shall the days of my people be, and my chosen shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain or bear children for calamity. For they shall be the offspring of the blessed of the Lord. And their descendants with them. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. 
The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. Some of you already know that my favorite Christmas movie, besides the obvious Jim Carrey live-action Grinch, is It's a Wonderful Life. We watch it every year, and every year I cry. And in the opening scene of that movie, when the guardian angel Clarence is dispatched to help George Bailey, he asks if the reason George needs help is because he's sick. His boss replies, worse, he's discouraged. In a world of broken dreams, crushed hopes, and unmet expectations, we too can find ourselves discouraged. And it often feels worse than being sick. But one expectation we can always count on is Jesus. He has come and he will come again. The apparently slow progress of all our honest efforts, by the failure of this or that other person, and by the ever new reappearance of enemy powers and their apparent victories, then we should know The time shall be fulfilled. Because of the noise and activity of the struggle and the work, we often do not hear the gentle sound and movement of the life that is coming into being. But here and there, at hours that are blessed, God lets us feel how he is everywhere at work and how his cause is growing and moving forward. The time is being fulfilled. The light shall shine. Perhaps just when it seems to us that the darkness is impenetrable. So press on in faith, in love, in obedience, in hope, in expectation. God fulfilled the prophet's words about a Messiah coming to save his people when Jesus was born. And God will fulfill his word about the Messiah coming again. We Christians are people of great expectations. And in the end, we will not be disappointed. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we have together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the prophets. Thank you for those Figures in the Bible who we sometimes read, and they're hard to understand, and we're not entirely sure what they're saying, and we're not entirely sure what's been fulfilled and what hasn't, and what prophecies still apply and which prophecies don't. Lord, thank you for your prophets. Thank you that they remind us of who you are. Thank you that they remind us of who you call us to be by your spirit's power. But Lord, thank you also that they remind us of the expectations that not just you have of us, but that we can have of you. We often fall short of expectations, but you don't. You will not. You never do. In fact, you exceed our expectations. So Lord, help us. Have hope, help us have confidence, help us have faith and trust 
that you will do what you say you will do. You have fulfilled and you are fulfilling your promises to the patriarchs. And you have fulfilled and you will fulfill what the prophets have said about Jesus. So help us press on in faith until we see these prophecies come to fruition. When we see you in all your glory and all your fullness. When we see you face to face. When the lion lies down with the lamb. But even greater than that, we get to see you. We love you. We ask this all in Christ's name. Amen.